Hello, and welcome to the Deeply Curious Podcast. My name is Cody Jensen, and joining me in our New York City studio apartment is Sarah Jensen, my beautiful wife. Hello. In this episode, we're going to be discussing what it's like to be a girl in America, <laughs> which I obviously know a lot about. Um, been a girl for at least 0% of my life, so yeah. stick around for my... Um, <laughs> Very insightful uh, <laughs> advice and uh, commentary. Well, you can have a, a discussion. Yeah. But before we jump into that conversation, I want to say a huge thank you to Maddie Lane, Greg and Christy Jensen, and Christian B. Schmidt for producing this week's episode. Um, they are members of the Jensen AV Club. That is our Patreon page, and that is a way that you can get exclusive content and deeper access to us over there at JensenAV.club. If you would like to... Uh, check it out or um, support the show. Continue help us to uh, continue creating what we are creating. Um, you can do that by going to JensenAV.club. Um, we also just posted a uh, exclusive members only um, podcast last week, and there's another one coming out this week. Um, so if you want to check that out by going to JensenAV.club, or the link is in the show notes. Thank you so much. Yes. Okay. So like I mentioned, we're going to talk about being female. In America, yes, and what that includes. Uh, Sarah uh, just finished reading a book and then could not stop talking about it, and so I said, "Wait, hold on, let's press record." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read this book this week called "Fear of Flying" by Erica Jong, which is set in the 1950s. Um, it was published in 1973, and so much of it is still, all of it is still true today. And so, I mean. You hear it all the time of like the women's rights movement and, you know, whatever, like all of the the stuff that we're doing to like be equal, right, to be seen as equal. But like you just assume in 2019 that you're further along than you really are, you know, and like it was wild to read a book that was published in 1973 and have all of the sentiments like feel the same as it does today. Mm-hmm. Like, that's actually crazy. And so it just, like, I don't know. I can't stop thinking about it. And, I, I mean, probably also it is a huge topic of conversation this week in particular because of the Alabama abortion laws and stuff being in the news. And so there's just, like, all those – all the controversy about, like, who is deciding who gets the rights for women's bodies, you know. So, like, it's probably a little bit of that as well. But, like, I just – it's just insane. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, well, first, we should probably preface this by saying the protagonist of the book is a 29-year-old woman who really wants to be a writer who has been married the majority of her 20s. So like literally me, right? So <laughs> I maybe there's like a little bit of a... Uh, camaraderie there that I feel to the character in particular um that maybe made me like really just love it that much more because I don't I don't think that I never really thought about this before but there's not a lot of people for me to talk to about like what it's like to be married your whole life you mm -hmm. know what I mean like I don't actually I don't know what it's like to live on my own I don't know that I do know what it's like to be married when I'm 20 though like right <laughs> and I don't have like friends who know that so i didn't realize that like 
I think this book also made me realize that too. That like, I've actually never talked to anybody about what it's like to be married in your 20s because I don't know anybody. You not, know? Yeah, not married in your 20s, but married for the entirety your tw- of your 20s. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. And like, I don't, because I don't know anybody who is or has been. Like most everybody I know has had some sort of like, adventures on their own they went to college or they traveled the world or they you know whatever it is and I didn't realize that I didn't have any friends who like really understood what it's like to like be married at 18 which is kind of weird because I also don't think it's like a big deal necessarily Mm -hmm. like I've never felt the need to have somebody like to connect to on that level but reading this book made me realize that I don't have anybody that I connect with on that aspect yeah which if you're listening to this and you don't know any part of our story um we have we got married at 18 and 19 and we've been married for almost 11 years now yeah i'm 29 now so like literally my my entire adult life two years of my teenage life like (laughs) Mm -hmm. i i have been married so like i i I never really thought anything about it but now that i like have been thinking about it this week i think it's weird that like I've never connected to anybody on that, which is, it just feels weird to know, I guess. Yeah. I don't know if it's like a big deal or not one way or the other, but. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just the fact of reading something that makes you feel heard. Yeah. Like I didn't know, even in, even in books, even in characters, I didn't know that there wasn't a character that like, that I haven't read a character Mm -hmm. that like understands that in that capacity. And this book did that, which is kind of crazy. Um, so there's that, like, which I also think that right there can bring perspective and also, uh, start a conversation about representation and art. Oh, a hundred percent. Because you would think, I mean, there is a lot of conversation about that now with minorities and, and whatever. And that's fantastic. I never thought I wasn't represented though. Right. Like I never, like, I never felt like that was a thing for me because, like, I'm a white girl, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, It's like every single story is written about white girls. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. But then I read read this and I was like, wow, she really knows what it's like to be married at a really young age and to have those, like, contradictory feelings. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that I never had that before, which is kind of crazy. Like, it's kind of blowing my mind even still. Anyway. Yeah, I think like representation in art is huge. And like even just that that little bit that I felt in this book. Right. Like I can't imagine like a minority, like, you know, like crazy rich Asians. That was the whole thing. Like I can't imagine like being so misrepresented and then having something like so culturally relevant come out mm-hmm. that is literally like all about you. Right. You know, that's cool and should be happening a lot more. And then to think like, So every, I mean, the majority of stories are written about white people in general, Mm -hmm. but a lot of stories are written written about white women. Yeah. And every single one of those stories has different uh, storylines and different nuances. Yes. And it took you this long to find a story that hit a lot of nuance that really makes you feel heard. Right. So to think like, oh, well, I mean, that Asian group got their movie. Right. And like, it's oh, Black not, Panther came out. You know, it's like, yeah, no, it's I mean, not that, that at that, all. It's, a, it's a step forward into representation. Right. But also, every single person has a different like perspective and story and nuance wrapped up in everything that they do. So to, mm-hmm. it's like, yes, 
to be one to just look at a piece of art and say like, wow, those people actually look like me is one thing. Right. If you've never had that, like that's insane. Um, and then but to then say to like say, that person feels like me. Right. They know my feelings, my particular situation is a completely different thing. Yeah. And also on the other side of representation in art, I feel like if you're not of that uh, ethnicity or whatever, mm-hmm. like or sexual orientation or, you know, whatever, like it's it's still a good thing to because you're learning other perspectives. Right. Like it's just needed across the board. Mm-hmm. And I feel like um, you shouldn't be upset when something comes out that isn't like from your perspective or whatever per se. Because or that you can't relate to. That you can't relate to because yeah. you're still learning something about somebody else, which is the point. Anyway, yeah, it took me a long time. I didn't even realize I did. I didn't know what it was like to be represented in that specific regard right in, in that emotional to, regard yeah um which was kind of crazy and cool um but she taught the whole thing is the whole premise is basically she goes to this like psycho analyst uh convention i guess it's like this thing in europe and all the psychoanalysts come together for like a conference basically and it's it has a lot of uh psychology analogy and stuff like that in it so a lot of freudian whatever because that was huge in the 50s and um so it it kind of puts a lot of stuff back to why you're acting the way you're acting i guess and like kind of Oh, daddy issues, you know, all those things, Mm -hmm. all those like psychoanalytic things. But I think it really plays to the idea that like men are just telling you what you feel or why you feel or why you're overreacting. Yeah. Basically, I think it put like really good terms to it, even though it's from the psychoanalysis point of view, because like for the main character in particular, all of her like it follows her like sexual adventures and misadventures basically she's been married for five years or over five years or something she's 29 well she had been married once he went crazy literal crazy and then had to be like admitted so she got divorced and then got remarried so she's been married her whole 20s but this is her second marriage and um she ends up like feeling you know restless and bored and like all these things right and runs off with this guy, has an affair. And basically, all the psychoanalysts are like telling her her whole life that all of her boy issues are because of her dad. And they're, you know, like, it's all that stuff. I think it's just really fascinating to see it put in that perspective of like, all these men are telling you why you feel the way you feel. Basically, like what it is to grow up female in America. Right. And how all these men are telling you what you think. And she says, growing up female in America, what a liability. You grew up with your ears full of cosmetic ads, love songs, advice columns, horoscopes, Hollywood gossip, more dilemmas on the level of TV soap operas. What litanies the advertisers of the good life chanted at you. What curious catechisms. And then like she goes into, but even if you're like a clever girl, you know, you're smart, you go to school, you do all these things, there's still that, piece of you that like wants that like man to rescue you basically so like even if you do feel independent and you do feel like you can do whatever there's still that like piece of you that wants to be rescued but then also that feels guilty for not being rescued 
basically. And so it's this like idea, like she says, a woman is always presumed to be alone as a result of abandonment, not choice. And she is treated that way as a pariah. There's simply no dignified way for a woman to live alone. Oh, she can get along financially, perhaps, though not as well as a man. But emotionally, she is never left in peace. Her friends, her family, her fellow workers never let her forget that her husbandlessness, her childlessness, her selfishness, in short, is a reproach to the American way of life. And then... She says, even more to the point, the woman can never let herself alone. She lives as if she were constantly on the brink of some great fulfillment, as if she were waiting for Prince Charming to take her away from all this. All what? The solitude of living inside her own soul? The certainty of being herself instead of half of something else? And I feel like like that, regardless of like if you have a healthy relationship or a healthy view on marriage and relationships and whatever, like... That is like the feeling that I think literally every female in America can understand. The like guilt of wanting to be your own person, but still like feeling like you you should just be half of somebody else. You know what I mean? I mean, we perpetuate it in America, do we not? I think maybe even a little bit on the guy's side too. Mm -hmm. But it's like she said in the book, a guy can be single without feeling that guilt. Right. Like, it's it's not so bad for a guy to be single and bachelor, especially if it's, like, between relationships. Oh, he's just doing what he does, letting mm-hmm. off steam, you know, whatever. But if a girl is single and doing that, she's a whore. You know, like, right. th- there's definitely different connotations. Yeah. I mean, uh, a, a, a single guy in his 30s... Right. ...is, like... Uh, you know, basically, um, boys will be boys. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the attitude, and like, it's just, you know, that's what it is. Like, it, it, even even if it is commitment issues, or even if he's fully secure in himself, and he's like getting yeah. around or whatever, he's like, oh, good for him. Like, he's you know, killing life. Yeah. But a woman single in her thirties, uh, generally, I I I uh, uh, witness that that is re- um, viewed as sad. Yes. Yeah. There's like a question of, well, why isn't she married? Versus the guy is like, oh, he's doing what he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And like, it's, just like, it's almost like a a male, a, you know, a man in his thirties who's single. It's like, oh, good for you, man. Yeah. But like a woman who's single in her thirties, like, what's wrong? Yeah. Why? Or even if there's like, even if it's not a question of what's wrong, but it's at least a question of why don't you want to be married? Like. Mm-hmm. It's just an ex- aren't you American? Yeah, it's just an expectation, and that's a thing she said in the book. She said solitude is un-American, mm-hmm. which actually flows into a lot of different conversations. I think that's a very fascinating statement to make, and really true. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, there's something about like a girl being alone that's just like not okay, which is really frustrating. And it's interesting for me to be like thinking about this in terms of. Um, obviously my situation because I'm married. I can't, I can't just like be like, yeah, I'm going to be alone, you know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> even if I want to, even if I feel that sometimes. So like, like she ran off and had an affair. I'm not going to do that, but I understand her sentiments, you know, like I, I agree with what she's saying. And even, even in that regard in the book, she talks about like, why, do I feel the need to get a- away from my husband to be my own person? But what do I do? I run to a man to rescue me. Why mm. am I running to another? It, you know, it's like this whole question of 
I know I still, I want to be my own person, but I'm still looking to this guy to save me, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think uh, it brings up a good point that like, that's what we're taught in America. Like, I don't, I obviously can't speak to anywhere else. I don't know. Right. But like in America, we're taught that. And like, I think like a part of one of the main or maybe the main point of the book is like you are your own soul mm-hmm. and like that's it that's all you have and um that's okay like <laughs> you don't need another person to save you and like that's not the point of marriage um but like i said again in america i do think we're like taught that we're mm-hmm. taught we're not taught that we are our own person I don't know theologically, like, you know, the truth in this, but right. we are taught that if, you know, when you're married, you, or in general, mm-hmm. that men and women, mm-hmm. they are two halves of one whole. Right. Instead of two holes in partnership. Right. Um, and I think that, and you are taught that it, it, through, um, like, the, the language is two halves of one whole right. but what is shown what is promoted is um two pieces of one whole and mm-hmm. the man happens to be 75 percent of it yes yes exactly the main point is like she talks about that about how like just because you get married like it doesn't take away like all the other things that you want mm-hmm. pretty much like she says she wants to be annihilated by love and then she says, nobody bothered to tell you what marriage was really about. You weren't provided uh, like European girls with a philosophy of cynicism and practicality, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. But it's about basically how like you still have all of these other desires like w- after you get married that apparently in America, at least we're taught that we don't want anymore. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case. And she says... What about those other longings which marriage stifled? Those longings to hit the open road from time to p- time to time, to discover whether you could still live alone inside your own head, to discover whether you could manage to survive in a cabin in the woods without going mad, to discover, in short, whether you were still whole after so many years of being half of something. Like, that's exactly it. Like, when you get married, you're taught that, like, you don't want any of this stuff anymore. You don't You don't want to run off on your own and be in the woods. You want, you're supposed to want to run off and be with your spouse, mm-hmm. right? Like that's what you're taught. But like those don't go away because we're still human beings. And also if you have those feelings, then you need to question your marriage because if you have those feelings, I mean that you may not truly be in love or your marriage may not truly right. be what it is. And so it, it's basically in the same thing in, um, you know, Protestant Christian culture in the fact exactly. that if you doubt, exactly. that is wrong. Right. So it's like if you have this uh, desire to go on a solo backpacking trip, like then you need to question why you're with your Right, because that means you're, you don't love them like yeah. you should. and. Lo- It's just so irritating because the point of marriage is not to be with another person 100% of the time. Like, that's not, yeah, anyway, I I don't really know how to articulate it, but like in American culture, and I also think in the church culture in which we grew up, it's very much taught that like I don't have desires outside of whatever our marriage is. Mm -hmm. And that's not true at all. Like I, you've seen Harry Styles. I've seen Harry Styles. 
But even like I do want to go on solo trips. I'm I'm planning to go escape not a cabin but a cottage you Mm -hmm. know for a month or something by myself like i want that and for some reason i'm supposed to feel guilty for saying that out loud and even probably i did feel guilty for saying that out loud until i mean maybe this year when i decided who cares if (laughs) other Mm -hmm. people think i'm wrong like if this is what i need to be a healthy person this Mm -hmm. is what i need but like like we are taught that and then there's a whole conversation of, you know, women and being uh, a part of a family and uh, pursuing work and what does that look like? And she talks about that too, about how she wants to be a writer. And so she, uh, you know, she's looking for this inspiration, right? And she she said in the book that um, for a long time until she was 21, she measured her orgasms on what these female characters in books on what they were experiencing and didn't realize that the female characters in the books were written by men, (laughs) you know? So you're still now, luckily we have female writers now and Mm -hmm. who are being recognized and we're making progress. But even then, you're like, you're basing your female experience on what a man thinks a female experience mm-hmm. is, you know? And I think that that's still prevalent today, you know? Like, men think that our interests are their interests. Right. That's not true, you know? And, like, she talks about how if you, as a female artist, if you choose work over family... The only thing that it seems that the female artists who chose their art over having a family, the only thing they could paint was family, was children. The only thing they could write about was the fact that they didn't have children, you know, like that kind of thing. The guilt. Mm -hmm. If you chose family, you became a cynic because you aren't doing what you're passionate about. Men don't have that choice to make. And I think that choice is still prevalent. I think that women still get a lot of guilt for choosing work over family mm-hmm, definitely or for um choosing family over work yeah. i mean there are, there are i think there are plenty camps, yes yeah. i think there are plenty of people who look at women who choose to be moms and scoff at them you know because that's the yeah. time we live in um, like you need to be a modern woman and stand up for feminism and like exactly you know, whatever and it's like well by making the choice to do what she wants which is to be a mom that's she feminism is. yeah and like i think Again, it's just a, a way to m- keep us feeling guilty, you know? And um, she talks about that in the book. She says, well, she made up a quote, but sh- she said, do you know what Teddy Roosevelt said? She said, you do not have to abuse a woman if you can make her feel guilty. You don't mm-hmm. have to abuse her into doing what you want. All you have to do is make her feel guilty for choosing something. Mm-hmm. And and she said, uh, she attributed it to Teddy Roosevelt, but it wasn't his quote. Um, she said, show me a woman who doesn't feel guilty and I'll show you a man. Mm-hmm. And I think that is like the truest statement even today. Yeah. You know? And it's just like all of all of these subtle things. I mean, obviously there's the major issues. There are the um, rights that, w- that women have over their bodies and who's deciding the, well, it's all white men who are deciding you know, right. the abortion laws and whatever. Like, 
there are major issues, but even in the subtleties, even in the ways that we operate as women, I mean, we do it too because we are so ingrained in culture and like these, we're told these things over and over and over again. So then we start to maybe sort of believe them, but then we also have this contradictory feeling, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's this like confusion between the two and then we're confused and then what do men do? They blame it on PMS. You know yeah. what I mean? They're like, well, you're confused because you're a woman because you have PMS. It's like, no, it's just that culture told us to be confused. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, we saw a, a a clip yesterday of, um, it, I think it was in the trailer of a documentary, but it was uh, a, a newscaster was asking a pundit of some sort. I don't remember yeah. who it was, but it was like, um, so let's say that a female was elected to president. Um you know, okay, so what? what's what the now? problem, yeah. you know, or whatever. And he said, what's the problem? You mean other than PMS and mood swings? Exactly. And it's like, it's so, it's just so irritating as a female to not be able to, like, express that. To not say, I'm confused because you are forcing me to be confused. You know what I mean? And also not to be able to reconcile it within yourself. Like, I have... Every single one of those contradictory feelings that she is talking about in this book, Mm -hmm. every single one of them. And I don't know how to reconcile them. You know what I mean? I, what do you do? I don't know, (laughs) (laughs) but it's frustrating as a female to have to feel like, you know, there was this one part in the book where she was arguing with one of her psych, uh, psychoanalysts about, um, what it means to be a woman, you know, which she's like, you don't even know because you aren't one. Mm-hmm. Why am I listening to you? You know? And, and she, within the argument got really irritated with him for the way he was making her feel about herself because right. she was like, I know he's reducing it to basically, um, I'm having to cut out all of the subtleties. I'm having to cut out the nuances and I'm having to generalize everything because he won't listen. And I know that that I I'm not correct in my argument because it's too it's more nuanced than what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. You know, even that I'm like, yes, yes, I cannot argue what I actually feel because culture says you're just confused. You don't get it. You know, you're, just emotional. you're emotional, whatever. And it's, and that's not true. The truth is that everything is too, um, too many shades of gray for that, mm-hmm. you know? And like, but even in that, you can't argue what you actually mean because they're not listening. Like, it doesn't matter what you do because they're not listening. Right. I just, it's just, it's a weird scenario to be in. And even in talking about it my mind is going you do not have it that bad (laughs) you Mm -hmm. do not have it as bad as most other people in different countries or even in america because you get to be white like Mm -hmm. you you are not as bad off as as and you were also born in 2019 or i mean you were born in the 2000s yeah i didn't have to go through the women's votes and not born in the 2000s yeah i was living in in the the 2000s yeah like like i don't i didn't have to fight for the right to vote I'm very grateful for that. I, You know what I mean? Like there are certain things that I know I don't have it so bad, but like the subtleties are still there. The mm-hmm. feelings are still there in 2019. And that's wild to me. Yeah, I mean, essentially that you can read a book written by a woman 
that was published in the 50s. In the 70s. In the 70s. Set in the 50s. Yeah. Um, So obviously in the 70s, she was writing about the 50s, but had the same sentiments 20 years later that it was all the same. Yeah. Then you are reading it decades later Mm -hmm. and you're like, this is all still just the same. It's just the same. Yeah. And in the in the foreword for this book. um, So this edition came out in 2013 and she says, my 11 year old daughter at 2013, my 11 year old daughter recently asked me, do you think it was more fun for Cinderella when she was just nobody? Or do you think she has more fun when she goes to the castle and meets the prince and goes to the dance? 11 year old girl in 2013 is still asking these questions is it better if I have a man or is it cool if I'm just nobody? And also, why are we nobody if we don't have a man? You know, mm-hmm. like 11 years old and she's still as- she's asking the same questions we're asking. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's not something that's like that you can ignore. It's not something that you can say like, oh, well, we've definitely progressed. We have. But the underlying, the undercurrent of American culture is that. Is is it cool if I'm nobody or do I should I go to the dance and meet the prince? Like that's the underlying culture. Mm-hmm. How do you change that? I just I think, you know, you can't argue that we've made progress because if that's the question that an 11 year old girl is asking, then we've done nothing. You know, I obviously say that. Right. <laughs> Not literally, but. But that's that has to change in order for equality to happen. I mean, you can have equality in the major things, but like if you still go home and feel inferior, not to say that like marriage makes you inferior or that your husband is making you inferior or your significant other or whatever, but like if if you still feel inferior because of the way culture is making you ask that question, Mm -hmm. then we're not done. We haven't progressed. Right. Like a girl should not, a little girl shouldn't be questioning, is it better for me to be with a boy or is it cool if I'm nobody? They should just know it's cool whatever I do. If I want to be meet the prince, then I'm going to meet the prince. And if I don't, then I don't. And I'm still me no matter what. The guilt, it's mm-hmm. that guilt. Do you think that over the last five years we have regressed um, or do you think that things have just become out in the open in the last five years? Hmm. I think maybe a little of both. Now, I have a, obviously, it's my own view. I can't really know, like, experience as a whole. But I think everything is more open, which does make it seem like we haven't progressed, right? Like, there is the, like, oh, my God, I thought we were past this. But really, Mm -hmm. it was all just in secret. Mm -hmm. Um, That's true. So I think it is just it is partly that it's just in the open now. Um, at the same time, though, and I'm going to use obviously the election as an example because it's just like I think the biggest example right. <laughs> we have. But the fact that like, and I don't want I don't want to generalize a people group either. And I know that that's how this is going to sound. But at the same time, in 2016. of white American Christian females Mm -hmm. voted for Trump, even after everything he said, even after, you know, so, and I'm not, I'm not saying 
I don't know what that means, I guess, but I think it means that we don't realize what we think about ourselves as females. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, again, I only have my experience and I do think that the church in some ways teaches submissive female dynamics. I mean, there are a lot of churches where females still can't preach. Right. They can't be on staff or whatever. Like, that's not okay. Like, <laughs> I just, I disagree wholeheartedly with that. And mm-hmm. so I feel like, you know, I do think on some level that that's still being taught somehow. I don't really know how, but I do think it is. And um, I think it's indicative. I think that number, that 53% is indicative of something. Right. You know, um, I don't know what exactly. Yeah. I mean, I don't, it's baffling to look at those statistics of like that a, you know, somebody can stand up and speak vile things about you right like it's your actual person yeah group like it's they don't not calling you by name right everything that you are is being spoken about in such a vile way right and still not only vote for because i mean i think that you can get into voting and and there's way too many nuances because they're like i'm gonna look past this because of these huge issues that i'm like I, i can't you know forget but then to support right continually support continually support and not say like you know and not get in basically don't give it any nuance of just like i'm a part of this tribe i'm, I'm in it for the long haul it doesn't right. matter what it, what is said about me right um which obviously there's that's not everybody but there is a i mean it is a, seemingly yeah a majority yeah <laughs> it feels that way yeah i feel like so i think it's maybe a little of both i think maybe it seems like we haven't progressed as far as we have because it's all in the open now But then also maybe that means we haven't progressed as far as we have. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that like, I I think the fact that the Alabama abortion laws happened is maybe indicative that we're regressing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, mean, whatever you want to say about abortion is your own opinion. It's not really about that. It's about the fact that all white, uh, 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 group right a panel of 40 men say of white old men voted for what women can do to their body right their own personal self and that i think is indicative of of maybe regression um i think yeah i don't know i don't actually know i think it's it's really complicated and i'm obviously not the most educated on all of the subjects but i i know like that I have felt all of these feelings. I I have felt these sentiments of like, I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to want to like, want this. I'm supposed to want to just like further your dreams, mm-hmm. you know, and not really like worry about mine. I'm supposed to want to come home and cook and clean. And right. I'm supposed to want to well, yeah, be the right supportive there. wife. I think that, I think that that, just everything that you said, if you were to do those things, what would they say you are? A good wife. Right. Exactly. If you are the if you are a person who cooks, cleans, you know, make sure that, you know, ba- basically be a great homemaker. Right. Um, and then make sure that your husband is fed and watered and right. pleasured. Like right. then, but th- then then you are given the label a good wife. Yes. But then also you're supposed to bring home 50% of the income because everything's too expensive now. So not only mm-hmm. are you working full time, 
building a family and taking care of the house, but you're you're just completely like throwing away any of your desires, which mm-hmm. I understand like marriage is sacrifice, blah, blah, blah. Like I get that, but it's not a one-sided sacrifice. Right. Like a guy should sacrifice crap too. That's yeah. the point, you know? And I don't feel like men are, are asked to sacrifice. Like it's not the, it's not the assumption in mm-hmm. American culture that the guy is going to sacrifice for it. No. It's not the assumption. The assumption is that the woman's going to sacrifice for the family. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, a, a the office, a comedy show, yeah. still brings up like philosophical questions in that way of just mm-hmm. the way that Jim and Pam are in the last season in that Jim, you know, gets a career opportunity and everybody around him, even though it is sacrificing his marriage and even though it is like, um, you know, it, it basically he has to choose career over you know, healthy family. Yeah. And everybody around him is like, well, why are you choosing healthy family? That's stupid. Yeah. It was the right choice for him to make to sacrifice for Pam. And everyone was like, I would never make that choice. Yeah. And that. And you shouldn't make that choice. Like saying yeah, like, they were, like, yeah, you, this saying, is like, she should understand. Mm-hmm. That was the idea. You know, I was like, no, no, she should not understand. Because she is a person with feelings too. And like they matter just as much as his career opportunity. And I mean, obviously Jim made the right choice. I'm not, I'm not gonna criticize. I think the office is brilliant. But like, like it it's that exactly, you know? Mm-hmm. And I I just for so long felt guilty for feeling or for not feeling like I wanted to be like the wife. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which I think is probably why I never even realized that I didn't, that I wasn't represented in in this stuff. Cause like being like, quote unquote, the good wife, like it, it's not a part of my identity. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, I don't find any sort of like fulfillment in whether or not I can like keep the home in working order. I literally don't care, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) I've noticed. I'm just, I'm not the, like, that definition of Mm -hmm. a wife. I'm just not. And I don't care anymore. I used to feel really guilty about it. Well, And And even sometimes still I do. Like, in in bigger issues, in, like, okay, do, like, what's the answer here as far as, like, pursuing dreams and, like, financial situations and whatever, you know? Like, I still feel like, okay, well, the answer is that I'm going to give up stuff. But is it? I don't know. I mean, does it have to be that? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, and also to back, you know, you feeling guilty about that stuff is like not, I mean, you felt guilty when we first got married, but it also like I was a part of making you feel guilty. Right. Because I also had these gender roles ingrained in my head of like what was supposed to be like we are now married. And so like you You are supposed to play a role and you are not like you're basically uh, Nick, like playing a different character than what I right. thought you were supposed to. Right. Um, and so it's like a lot of our early marriage like fights had everything to do with right. like those marital expectations not being met and right. in just the basics of like keeping, come, keeping a house. And, yeah. When you, know, you like, come home, you cook dinner. <laughs> right. Like all those types of things. Yeah. And um, but. You know, that's 
the way that we were raised, especially in rural Oklahoma mm-hmm. or rural America, but then also yeah. especially in a like very conservative right. um, Christian background. Right. Um, in like, these are the roles of men and women. Right. And these are the roles of men and women in marriage. Yes. And so like, and I had never really seen, I had never been given an example of a man or a woman who subverted those expectations. Same, yeah. And so like, to go into a marriage and, you know, to expect anything different is like crazy. Right. Like to expect either one of us to, you know, feel that way. Right. Um, but then I think as we, you know, one matured past uh, being teenagers, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, and then just like open communications and then um, like seeking like actual uh, marriage counseling so we can have that open dialogue. Right. And, like figuring out like, oh, okay, we just both came into this thing with like our very much our own expectations that were not communicated about. Right. And whenever you, uh, I mean, the lack of communication leads to fabrication. So we're both fabricating these things that we think the other person is thinking whenever, you know, it's not true. Right. Um, and uh, it's trying to think of what point I'm trying to make. Um, mm-hmm. Mostly just the fact that you, our culture made you feel guilty about it. Right. Our culture made me think I was supposed to make you feel guilty about it. Right. Yeah. And like, nobody even knows that that, that that's happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just so ingrained that you can't like separate them. You can't realize that like, oh, I don't have to be this idea, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I do think that we are lucky to be living now to be able to say, like, I can actually make that choice. You know what I mean? Right. You couldn't make that choice a long time ago or maybe even a few decades ago. I don't know. Like, you couldn't make that choice. Um, I, I do think you can make that choice now. However, I will say that the women who make that choice who are bold and like stand up like what are they're criticized Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know they're 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 very much they they invite a lot of hate from the world from culture um even if if you're you know like standing obviously talking about like what it means to be a woman all of these whatevers but like if you're talking about like uh sexual adventures you're now a slut if you're ta- you know what i mean mm-hmm. like there's just such a there's still such a connotation on what it means to be female that that hasn't gone away right um but you can make that choice which is good you know yeah i don't know i just um i don't know if like there's a way to change it or how you change it or what but like i'm really i just felt so many emotions reading this book (laughs) and like just tired of of all of it you know Mm -hmm. just tired there's a lot more (laughs) there's a lot more that i could uh talk about in this book or quote because like i said like she touches on so many things that like feel so much like me not only like being married or what it's like to be female in America, but like uh, wanting to be a writer, being an artist, how do you like merge these things together and all of this stuff. But she was 
I'll just, there's two more quotes that I will say and then we can discuss. Um, she was talking about, she was reading through her notebooks, her journals basically. And after after the affair, after she left this guy and she was going home to her husband and she was like, decide, she was like, I don't know what's going to happen. Which that was a cool thing that she didn't, she said in a 19th century book, they stay together. In a 20th century book, they divorce. I don't know what's going to happen to me. And I thought that was interesting too. Just like the way that stories like progress and change, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, but so she was flipping through the pages of her journal and she said, a curious revelation started to dawn. I stopped blaming myself. It was that simple. Perhaps my finally running away was not due to malice on my part, nor to any disloyalty I need to apologize for. Perhaps it was a kind of loyalty to myself, a drastic but necessary way of changing my life. And then she says, you did not have to apologize for wanting to own your own soul. Your soul belonged to you for better or worse. When all was said and done, it was all you had. Um, which I think even that idea seems kind of crazy. Like, perhaps I did not do this out of malice and perhaps I don't need to apologize for what I did mm -hmm. because I did it for me. Like, it was something that needed to happen. You know, like, again, it's maybe a drastic situation because it's a book, but, mm -hmm. like, the sentiment is true. Like, I don't, I don't need to apologize for wanting to go off by myself. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, but this is the thing that's that, basically like it's it's that's apologizing for having wants. Yes, exactly. Um, and she said marriage was tricky because in some ways it was always a this is a French phrase. So I don't know if I'm going to say it right. Folie à deux, which is like basically a mess of two. Like um, it just says at times you scarcely knew where your own lunacies left off and those of your spouse began. You tended to blame yourself too much or not enough for the wrong things. And you tended to confuse dependency with love, which I think is fascinating because I think that's true. I think a lot of times in marriage, you don't really know if it's your problem or their problem or both of your problem. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think the idea that like you tend to confuse your lunacies with theirs and theirs with yours is um just a fascinating yeah and true yeah like and and the fact that you tend to feel like at least as a girl i don't know if but like you you tend to feel like uh too much like you blame yourself for like your spouse's crazy yeah. you know and vice versa which is kind of interesting mm-hmm I think I think mostly just the idea that like you don't have to apologize for wanting to own your own soul mm -hmm. is like the core of this book. And I think maybe the place that uh, we need to get to in society. I feel like there's still I mean, I do think that there's a lot of that going around. But like I said, the underlying current I still feel like is this idea of like, can I be nobody or do I need to meet Prince Charming? You know, and like the idea that like you own your own soul, that's it. Like nobody else is going to do that for you. Just you. Like we, d we don't, we're not there yet, I don't think. But the last quote, she says, people don't complete us. We complete ourselves. If we haven't the power to complete ourselves, the search for love becomes a search, a search for self-annihilation. And then we try to convince ourselves that self-annihilation is love. Which I think is really fascinating because I think that that's true in the way we search for love. We search for somebody else to like um, 
be us for us, mm-hmm. which is self-annihilation. And then like we seek to destroy ourselves in searching for love, right? And then we think that self-destruction is love. And it's just like this terrible like cycle, yeah. I feel like. And I, I think that's prevalent today. I think the, the way we search for love is definitely that. Like we are looking for someone to take us away from ourselves, which is not the point of love. In that quote. Mm-hmm. of like what is love yeah and chasing thinking that love is fulfillment or love is somebody fulfilling you or whatever right. that quote was if somebody is insecure mm-hmm. in who they are mm-hmm. and they are looking you know to find love in that insecurity mm-hmm. and so they um basically uh demean themselves looking for somebody with a nurturing attitude Uh to come in and like pick them up is that something that is a cultural thing that we have been you know Mm -hmm. taught Mm -hmm. or is that just the nature of some people i think it's a little bit of both but i think probably mostly it's the culture Hmm. because you know the damsel in distress right um the princesses who need to be saved and who saves them the prince like i i think that it is culture yeah and i guess i think all of these like advertising magazines uh movies like everything is all designed around telling women that they are not enough Mm-hmm. It, but there is a product that will make them enough, you know, yes. whether it is clothing, makeup, dieting, right. you know, anything. It's all based around sex appeal. Let me show you what the ultimate sex appeal looks like right. and how you can achieve it. I mean, even which in, happens to also uh, cost a little bit of money. Yeah. And he, I mean, even in like, you know, corporate America, if you're a female who's like, um, you know, at the top, if you don't have that, like, whatever c- passes in our culture as femininity at, at, if you don't have that softness mm-hmm. then what are you called <laughs> yeah you know like it, it's men don't have that problem like that's not put on men mm-hmm. it's put on women women have to look a certain way they have to smile more they have to whatever in order to not be labeled a bitch mm-hmm. and and that is dumb right <laughs> and i think i think it is culture yeah I don't think it's something that like most people or like some people are just more attuned to. I do think that like personalities come into factor. I think there are some women who are very strong and confident and independent. Mm-hmm. I'm very insecure. I I feel like though I'm I'm a maybe more uh, sensitive personality to that kind of stuff, but I also feel like I was taught that. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean that, that reminds me of like uh, I, last year or two years ago or whatever it was the, the uh, U.S. Open um, with Serena Williams where yeah yes Serena she tell she yells at the ref and says you're a thief you just stole that point from me and the ref basically like takes another point from her uh-huh. and she's like freak like starts yelling at him furious um, furious with him um, and they you know obviously that is all filmed. Then that goes in the news and the news reports it as Serena Williams has a meltdown. Mm -hmm. And it's all about Serena Williams having a meltdown and being emotional Mm -hmm. and like basically just a woman off the rocker is is the way it's reported. And to think about that of like, okay, if this is the top male athlete Mm -hmm. in tennis 
and he said he looks at the ref and says you're a thief you stole that point from me and like one would the ref take that in like and just go on yeah you know because boys will be boys you know whatever like the excuse is um or does he like let's say everything plays out the same Mm -hmm. and he like gets mad and like no like Mm -hmm. you you took another point from me like this is completely unfair calls everybody over and is like basically does the exact same thing as serena is it reported in the news as um what's i don't know i don't know what yeah i don't know any tennis players um you know it's like does joe like get reported the news is like joe has a meltdown right and or is it even reported at all like or like yeah. you know what yeah. is it like it, or it is it re- or is it reported as ref steals two points from joe right like yeah. that's probably what it like it wouldn't reported. be reported as a meltdown that's no. for sure um i mean it's also evident in like um the way like women women of power i guess like people in congress or you know whatever the way they're reported on um like i think there was like a condoleezza rice war something and they they report the headline with something about a dominatrix Mm -hmm. you know and it's like stuff like that it's like those tiny things make a big difference in the way people think about females right and like how do you how do you change that how do you fix it Mm -hmm. like what do, do we just like get rid of all men altogether like i i don't know how you change that right um one funny thing she said in the book because she was going between her husband who's this like sensible responsible safe secure you know whatever and then this guy she had an affair with was obviously like very exciting and like you know whatever kind Mm -hmm. of tapped into the spontaneity of herself and she was like do i choose one or the other why can't it be both do two men make one whole man (laughs) (laughs) oh which i it was just funny yeah um But I do, I think, like, I don't know the answer. How do you, how do you tell people that that is the problem? Like, how do you, how do you make them understand that they're, it's just like how, um, it's just like the race, racism, you know, the subtle racism. And how do you explain, how do you make people understand that they're, that they're adding to it? Right. You know? It's like. I don't know. Yeah. Just, yeah, teaching I don't know. I honestly don't know because I don't even know if it's right to um, teach people that aren't asking to be taught. Like, Right, because you're entitled it, to your own opinion, blah, right. blah, 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 blah. And I'm not saying it is or it isn't. Like I I lean towards it, you should be taught and people need to be educated right. and things like that. But I'm also so, not about forcing my beliefs on people. Right. And also there is so much, so many like, members of the thought police going around Mm -hmm. and it's it becomes basically in the same way that i never really talk about not eating meat because i don't want to be associated with toxic vegans like i don't want to be associated with toxic people who just like are the just a mob of people looking for any mistake that any human ever makes so that they can make themselves feel better about their own sins and so it's like the the concept of like educating people who right. aren't asking to be educated is it it takes the I, I feel like the only way is to actually take be in personal relationship with that person yeah i feel like i i have again i have a lot of contradictory feelings about a lot of things this is one of them i feel very strongly that you should stand up for your beliefs i feel very strongly that you should try to um and when I say try to educate, I don't mean like yell at people, mm-hmm. but like that you should try to educate people who aren't educated. I think 
um, the only way people learn is because people open other people open their eyes, you know, and if they're not, you know, naturally somebody who seeks out information, you should be um, kind of a vessel for that for Mm -hmm. them. You know, I think that um, I like maybe quieter teaching, subtle teaching. I don't think that you should scream. Well, also, nobody nobody has ever actually learned by. Well, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't change anything. It just starts an argument. So I but I I am a strong believer uh, in standing up for your beliefs. I'm also a strong believer in not forcing your beliefs on other people. I think discourse and dialogue and context and it's missing. It's missing in our current culture. Um, But I think all of that is very important. Yeah, empathetic conversation is the only way Yes, to lead towards change. And you can leave that conversation with that person still disagreeing, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't worth... Yeah, an empathetic conversation has never happened on TV. <laughs> it's never happened on Twitter. Yeah. And it probably will never happen in, in general, like as far as like in right. any, any form outside of personal relationship with somebody i feel like it very rarely happens one-on-one non-public conversation yeah like i said i do think that there's something to be said about like if you have a platform use it i'm i'm a big i believe in that like you should use your voice for Mm -hmm. what's right and what's good if you have a voice to use right for Uh, like but i i feel like there's a difference between bringing awareness to a conversation right and changing people's minds or like teaching people like let's say you use your platform to bring awareness to something i feel like somebody becoming aware of something Mm -hmm. is different than using your platform to yell and scream and you know tell people that they're wrong and how they need to change yeah yes because it, there's no empathy involved. The, like, I agree. The, the way to use your platform to bring about change would be to tell stories that people empathize with and like, oh, wow, I didn't know that that human existence, that I didn't know that humans had those experiences. Right. And that leads to bringing more empathy into your life, which leads to you feeling differently about that subject than you did before. Right. I agree. I agree that the the way for like true change is empathy. But I also think... Um, sometimes like, uh, righteous anger is okay. Yeah. I'm not, righteous anger is definitely, I'm just saying, should lead you to action. I think like maybe what I'm getting to is like, it's not clean cut. It's not, it's too nuanced. It's, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. I think, but in general, I agree. It's not about yelling and preaching. Um, it's about talking. Right. (laughs) Um, which we don't do anymore. I mean, it's like I've had moments of righteous anger on this podcast, standing basically on my soapbox, right. telling all my feelings. Nobody has ever, uh, only, like people who already agree, love it. Right. People who don't are uh, alienated mm-hmm. from it. Mm-hmm. And I mean... I can't say 100% it didn't bring about change, but I can't say 100% it did. Like, because, and I would say it probably didn't because it wasn't, it's not an empathetic conversation. It's like my opinion and I'm telling it and like I'm bringing awareness, I guess I could say. Uh Um, But again, speaking through my righteous anger, um, 
I don't know if is it like good or I don't think that everything has to be look I am a huge obviously I'm a very empathetic individual that's like what I'm about is empathy I don't think everything has to be empathetic conversation I think you should there should be righteous anger has its place is what I'm saying yeah and I think I think that um hmm. I was gonna say it has its place but it shouldn't be used to change minds I don't know. I like, don't know what that. I don't like know. Like Jesus used his righteous anger to overturn the tables of people profiting right. of, of of the church and like you know selling and sell, like people are using the church to set up their their tables to sell their knickknacks in, in the in the in the temple mm-hmm. and Jesus gets righteously angry about that. He flips over their table and tells them to get out. Did he change their mind? Probably not. But he still stood up for what he believed in um and so it's like it's not that 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 ultimately was you know told to us as a um a model not for how we should treat all people but there are some people like the pharisees in that story there you're not changing you're not going to change their mind so you just have to basically maybe that's what i'm saying go for whatever like gets gets them out of the temple maybe that's what i'm saying there's a place for that I don't, I don't know what it is, obviously. I think it's, I think everything is like, everything's confusing. I think like the time we live in and how to even know what's an argument and what is dialogue and what is, you know, it, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if any of it is definable anymore. <laughs> well, you just have. But I think, I, I do think there's a place for righteous anger. I think there's most of the time it should be empathetic conversation. Um, but I think there's a place for righteous anger. I think if you're not getting mad about something, then you're not paying attention. Yeah. It's just like, how do you, how do you handle the anger? Right. I, I mean, I think you should take that righteous anger and use it as fuel to. Totally. Do create, you know, whatever, like obviously politicians get righteously angry about something and they go into politics to go in and change that. Right. But I don't think they're going to actually change it by yelling at people. No, but I'm just saying sometimes there's a place for it. Yes. I, I mean, and, I I'm, think, and this is a question I'm asking myself because right. I have a tendency to get like righteous anger in me. Right. And I like, like say it and I spew I it. Think, and like in my same way of like everything that I've recently been like struggling with with capitalism like i have a righteous anger against capitalism and i and i have not been shy of saying it mm-hmm. but it goes to like am i changing anybody's minds through that like how do i channel this into something that actually creates change right i think yeah i mean I, I don't know and then also like should my goal ever be change minds but then yes i mean i mean should i mean i feel like if you're not hoping for a better world if you're not working for a better world then there's no point but then it's like, what obligation do I have to, like, do that? Like, I think you have an obligation to yourself because I think if you – here's what I think. Maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think if you if you have a righteous anger and you do nothing about it, then you become a bitter cynic. Maybe. Yeah. If you have a righteous anger and you try to make some good, you are an artist hoping for a better world. 
And that's always a better option. Yeah. Even if you don't succeed, even if you don't actually change anybody's minds, even if whatever, at least you didn't become a bitter cynic. Right. But I feel like if you do nothing about your righteous anger, what's the point? Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. I've just been down this thing. I do do agree that you owe nobody anything. I, I think that's true. I think like, I think as a person, like I have... Well, there's lots of ways you could look at it. <laughs> I think as a person, you have no responsibility to anybody else on this earth. I think that's true. I also think you have every responsibility to leave it better than you came. So mm-hmm. again, contradictory feelings. I feel happy holding both of those truths in my hand. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to get to that place. I think that all of us need to be able to hold multiple truths that contradict each other. Right. That's life, you know? And I feel like, I feel like that's true. But I think if you do nothing with your righteous anger, you just become bitter. And that doesn't leave the world better. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not, even if you don't have a responsibility to change other people's minds. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, I agree. I've just kind of been wrestling with this thought of like, if I find contentment, which ultimately is happiness in what I'm doing, in my day-to-day life and I like ultimately feel right fulfilled and content in living and by and engaging and trying to change other people's minds makes me unhappy Mm -hmm. and makes me cynical towards humanity Mm -hmm. I also think that um you know maybe it depends on how you look at it because like changing the world could literally just mean like the friends in your circle Mm -hmm. it's not about the whole world it's not about shouting your message it's about living it and like that affects people around you which changes the world yeah so maybe it doesn't have to be about shouting your message from the rooftops which most people think it does right that's what we think when we think changing the world we think the whole world really it's just one person changing your world yeah which which changes the entire world so i feel like there's also that aspect that yeah uh we don't think about it in terms of small right changes i just think about like the doing things like that like you know using platform to like yell at each other does no good because we basically there are two groups of people who neither one of them are seeking wisdom they're just seeking to prove themselves right i do but i yes i agree But I think you can get back to that conversation of or that idea that I mentioned in the book about he's making me argue without the subtleties. And I know that that's wrong, but I don't feel like I can. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there there is that that idea of like somebody is attacking, let's say, your beliefs or whatever or doing the Alabama abortion laws like it was a a wrong decision and these men are making this decision and it's wrong and the only you can't rationally discuss you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like it's not that's not possible you have you're going to lose the subtleties and within that you're going to kind of cut out that idea like the seeking wisdom the rational conversation the whatever like it it loses that you know and sometimes there's no option but to lose that otherwise you get steamrolled Mm -hmm. you know yeah but what 
I'm not saying I, that. I agree. I, I don't know I if see that perspective of like you have to stand up and you have to fight for what you believe in, let's say, so you don't get steamrolled over by a group of white men. Um, but then like, but what good came of it other than like just yelling and screaming? I mean, and, I don't know if like, any good comes of it. I think... Um, I think and that's not to say that people shouldn't stand up for what they believe in in scenarios like that because no, then, you absolutely because then you just have old white men ruling the world and absolutely. they obviously have made the poorest decisions we have ever seen. Right. So I mean, obviously, there should be righteous anger about that stuff. Like, I'm not I don't I don't think anything that's happening right now is necessarily wrong. Um, I don't know how much like good change it. I don't know what's happening, basically. <laughs> um, but I think like it goes back Maybe it goes to the idea that like history repeats itself. There are cyclical themes that mm. in life that are unanswerable. And you just have to be okay with the fact that you'll never have an answer for it, you know? Yeah. And I think like maybe, maybe that's one of them. Like, I don't know how to change the way we argue and disagree. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's possible to change it especially with social media. I don't I don't know if it's possible to change it. All I know is that sometimes I have tried to be a rational voice and I got buried. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the only way to be heard was to come with equal force. I'm not saying that's right, but how else do you how else can you be heard when they are just burying you? Yeah. I mean, I just don't, I, I don't think that's the way we should move forward. I don't either, but that's, I'm saying, yeah, I think I, you're stuck I, yeah. between a rock and a hard place. Right. It's that idea. Like, yeah. I don't think you that's the way to move yeah, forward. We like, yeah, you should not go and meet fire with fire because it, again, it's just two people trying to prove their right instead of two people seeking wisdom and listening. I agree, and but so, if one person is refusing to seek wisdom, what do you do then? And it's not just one person, it's a government. Yeah, I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like bigger than just like one-on-one -on -one conversations. That's what I'm saying. I'm not talking about, I'm saying like, how do you how do, you do that? I don't even know if, if you can. I mean, I don't know if it leads to change or not. All I know is that I would love if I could always choose the high road. Absolutely. And always choose love over hate. Absolutely. And always choose the empathetic conversation over a, you know, just simplified right, wrong. I mean, I agree. Thing. And so, yes, my voice may not be as loud and sensational and viral, um, but I ultimately it's like I don't want to contribute to what is happening in our world. I don't want to contribute to um you know it's like the same thing that I talk about with with capitalism consumerism stuff. It's like I don't want to contribute to pe to making people feel that way. Yeah. So I'm not going to. I agree, but okay. I agree 100%. I do not want to be a divisive voice. I don't think I am a divisive voice. But look at it from going back to the Alabama abortion law, right? Look at it from a female perspective. Mm -hmm. You have 
I don't know, however many white men who made this decision for you. We cannot, we don't, how do you change that? You know what I mean? You can't just be like, hey, look, I think we should have a conversation about this. No, they're not going to listen. They don't care. They said terrible things. They, mm-hmm. they have, they've made that decision with horrible excuses. And there's no changing that. So like as a female, you can't, you can't just be like, listen, I think we should have a discourse about this. I feel blah, 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 you know, and like mm-hmm. go about it in a rational way. You can't do that. Like it's not going to change anything. It doesn't change their minds. Nothing we say is going to change their minds. Not even our outcries, not even our righteous anger changes their mind, changes our government's mind on women. It doesn't, it doesn't. So like, how do you, how do you change? How do you actually create change on a big scale like that? I'm not saying righteous anger or shouting your opinions is the answer. I'm just saying maybe civil discourse is not going to do it for you. I don't think that it I don't think that they care. I mean, I agree. And I think that there is the So argument. I'm just saying sometimes you have to scream. That's what I'm saying. I think I'm not saying that it changes anything. I'm not saying that um it's the right answer. I'm not saying it's the wrong answer either. I'm just saying that you sometimes it's you come to the end of your rope. Mm-hmm. And that's literally your only option. I think that's, I think that in that scenario, like you have to be angry. Like you said, like nothing that you say mm-hmm. or do is going to change their mind. Right. Um, so if you scream, yell, and come across as being irrational, that's going to hurt the cause more than it helps. Yeah, but being submissive is going to hurt the cause. But I don't think you have to be submissive. I think you could be subversive in the fact that like standing up and being more intelligent in the arguments and putting together like, let's say, very intelligent, empathetic um, think pieces in all forms of media of, you know, newspaper, magazine, media, like documentary, whatever it is like. And obviously like film takes way longer than the convert like the conversation has to happen much faster than that but still having um published pieces and and different things like that 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 make hopefully bring nuance to the conversation make people ask more questions than like yes no or like whatever yeah anyway it, it i i understand i just think the the there is more uh, confusion and I think we both agree it's just the fact that I have a hard time thinking that like um, that the mob can actually change something well I don't know if it can change something or not but I think sometimes you just have to do it and maybe and, that's true I and mean, I, I and I don't mean like the female mob either I mean like the there are mobs that are kind of on my side or whatever like right that um, but I don't think that like that I would be comfortable like being like, yeah, I kind of identify with all those things are saying, but I don't think that the mom mentality actually changes culture or actually I would say the mom mentality is culture now. And yes. the only change it does is get people fired. It doesn't actually change people's minds. It doesn't actually like, um, I don't like yeah. create a better world. I don't disagree 
I really don't. But I just, I know what, and I, I don't mean this like in the like governmental sense, although maybe I do because in 2016, I felt very like helpless. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I think you come to this moment where like literally nothing you do is gonna change it and nothing is working and you're being buried and you feel helpless and like you just have to lash out for something. Right. You know what I mean? I feel like that's the the righteous anger. I think that's where it comes from. It comes from this idea of like my personhood is being pulled away from me and I can't stop it. So I'm going to yell and fight back because I don't know what else to do. You know? Right. I don't I'm not saying that it's changing anything, especially in the culture we live in right now, but I do think that it's necessary sometimes. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, I But would I rather have rational conversation? 100%. <laughs> do I get on Twitter? No. Mm-hmm. Because of that. You know, I I it's a dumpster fire and like I just I'm not interested in that. But I think that there is something to be said for being vocal sometimes. Yeah. And uh, there is obviously, there's not right or wrong in this conversation. Like, I think that there has to be both. It's just, I am just questioning whether the pitchfork mob makes the world a better place. And I think (laughs) it, I think that sometimes it can, but it's being overused in, in the fact of just, you know, basically the thought police of like the mob is being used for the wrong things of like, if you, if you think any differently than, you know, them, then like you are alienated, you are ostracized and you are made into the bad guy. And, but at the same time, if we are a government represented by the people then the people need to stand up and say, represent us. So, but obviously i ha- has a like has a, a march ever changed anything i mean i don't know if we can really tell you know like cuz but to be fair but, the women's movement i feel like start started with marches they did a lot of marches right yeah but did it change anything i don't know i mean i guess it's just maybe bringing solidarity bringing and bringing awareness, awareness to like other there's something people. to be said for like people coming around uh, an idea yeah and that's what a march can do and i'm not it's like i'm just asking a question right i mean i'm sure there are marches that have changed things i mean obviously there were huge civil rights marches that we right. still talk about today and the fact that we still talk about selma and all these different things like right. means that they led to a conversation at least that went on it to change was something culturally important you know it so and I, th- I guess maybe the marches we're having right now, we won't know yeah. for a long time or maybe ever in our lifetime if they were important or not. But I do think there is something to say about solidarity, which right. a march can bring. Yeah. If you're careful. Definitely. I don't know. Anyway, it's a crazy subject and I don't know what mm. I think. <laughs> I don't know either. But um, um, I felt good. uh feeling heard in a book that i didn't even realize Mm -hmm. was a thing yeah i mean i feel like there are pieces of me in lots of books like i've always felt like 
oh, I can find myself in this book. Like, even if the character, whatever, like, it's like some young boy, mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, I feel this, you know, like, I always felt like I could identify with something. Right. Which I do think is true. I think you can if you're, you know, a good person. Like, if you, right. if you're really trying to be empathetic, like, you can identify with other people. But to read a person that was literally me was a yeah. new experience. To be heard to your core. I'm glad it happened. Yeah. All right. Well, we should wrap up the conversation there. Thank you guys so much for listening to Deeply Curious. Sorry if and, we offended anyone. <laughs> uh, supporting this show um, on Patreon at JensenAV.club. Um, if you want to check it out, get some uh, exclusive content, um, some deeper access, and we will be releasing um, member-only uh, podcasts over the next few months. Um, so thank you guys for listening. And again, that is JensenAV.club, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.